chapter 1. And as you're turning there, we've been going through Colossians um, as a church, and last week was Sanctity of Life Week. We like to, as a church, sometime in January or February, ideally if we can hit the Sanctity of Life Sunday, we like to pause and for one or two weeks, sometimes even more, um, to really focus on the issue of the Sanctity of Life from the womb to the tomb. So we did that last week. We're going to also do that this week because we believe it is such a crucial and important topic um, in our culture today. Jeremiah 1. Here's what it says. Verse 4. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Before we talk about that, let's go ahead before the Lord and pray. God, thank you for your word. We thank you that it is through your word that we have life. We thank you for sending your son Jesus for us, that he died on the cross for us. And Lord, as we talk about this topic, continue to nurture in us a heart for the things that are near and dear to you. We want to be a people that believe what you believe. We want to be a people that hear what you say and then put it into action ourselves. Bless our time now, Lord, as we go on and hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, one side note, I wanted to mention this before we got on. So we're going to do things a little bit different today, and so we sang the worship a little bit shorter, um, and then I'm going to do a, uh, a sermon. I'm going to give preach the word, and then we're going to have Sarah Benson come up. Um, she's in from Ukraine. And so we'd like an update from her and how we can be praying for her and the work going on there. So she's going to give a brief update after I'm done. And then um, Justice uh, and Laura and Mike are going to come up and talk about Belize and kind of talk about our summer plans. Um, that's all kind of part of the service, but we decided to rearrange things a little bit. Okay, Jeremiah chapter 1. Notice what he says here. This is, I mean, it literally says in verse 4, the word of the Lord, right? The word of the Lord. I mean, we have God's word, we're blessed to have it, but here the word comes to Jeremiah, and he gets this message, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Like, what a powerful statement that is, not just for Jeremiah, which is true, but also true for us, right? Like, by way of extension, before I formed you, God can say those very words to each one of us. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew. I think you can even say the next part. Before you were born, I consecrated you. Like God has set each person apart for part of his plan and to accomplish his purposes. All right? And we want to be faithful to accomplish those purposes. And I believe actually part of what we're talking about today is how can we accomplish those purposes that God has for us. So before I formed you in the womb, listen, all of life is precious to God. All of life. From the womb to the tomb. And we looked at some different things last week. So this is the part two of really taking the long view when it comes to the issue of pro-life. But we are called on all issues, all issues, all issues, all issues, we are called to stand for truth. Look at 1 Corinthians 16.
1 Corinthians 16, verse 13, it says, Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. So we get these four imperatives here, these four commands or exhortations to us. And really, this verse right here will echo throughout all of time because it will always be true for every single believer that we have to be watchful we have different verses and passages talking about being vigilant being sober-minded being ready but then look what it says stand firm in the faith and every single believer every single believer will at one point be called to do this stand firm in the faith now over and over again we will face times in our life where we will need to make sure we stand firm in the faith. We can talk about standing firm in the faith in just regards to what we believe and maybe doubts that we might have, but I think standing firm in the faith means when the outside forces, whether it's the devil or even the flesh or the world, attack us, that we are going to stand strong for what God's Word says. That is becoming more and more difficult in our culture and as, as the years go on. Regardless as, as that may be, all areas we are to stand for truth. That's the public square and the comfort of our home. In the marketplace or out of the marketplace. We have to do that. There was a monk. He lived around 390 A.D. His name was Telemachus. And the gladiatorial fights were still going on in Rome and throughout the Roman Empire. And one day, Telemachus had enough. And he tried to enter the arena and stop the gladiatorial fights single-handedly. Guess what happened? They stoned him. They stoned him. But the emperor, who was a Christian at the time, the report came to him. And within a few days, guess what he did? He banned the gladiatorial fights. One man one man taking the stand. Now let me ask you this. Within that couple days, the day that, that the, the emperor passed it, like was there a heart change in the people? No, right? I mean, they still wanted the fights, right? They still wanted the fights. Did things change that day? Well, in one sense, no, but in one sense, yes, right? Was there a law change? Yes. Were lives saved? Yes. Did hearts eventually change? I mean, yes. Like, last time I checked, there's no gladiatorial fights going on in Rome, right? Like, it was stamped out pretty quickly. So sometimes, here's the thing, sometimes the laws helped to change people's thinking. Sometimes laws helped to change people's thinking. When the Supreme Court originally decided Roe v. Wade, it was just 50 years ago, uh, this past Sunday... Um, but the court was fairly certain that the nation would fall in line with its ruling. In fact, one author uh, writing on that said, when courts recognize a new constitutional right or liberalize in some way the social order, the public generally acclimates. But not this time. Not this time. So when we talk about legislating morality... I sometimes feel like, well, you can't legislate morality. I mean, brothers and sisters, that's the very thing you do legislate. I mean, just go through the Ten Commandments, right? 
God is legislating morality. I mean, think about Moses getting the law on Mount Sinai. Did the Israelites need the law? Clearly, they needed it. What was going down at the bottom of the mountain? God, I mean, God is giving him the commandments, more than just the ten, but he's giving him the commandments. And what's occurring? What are they doing at the bottom of the mountain? They're like, what happened to Moses? Look at Exodus chapter 32. This is the story of the golden calf. And we're just going to pick it up in verse 4. He received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. Like God is setting up the nation, the Israelite nation. He's setting it up as, as they decide, oh, we're just going to go do our own thing. And they said, continuing on, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Like, where were the Israelites' hearts at? Wicked and fallen. Right? Where, where is our hearts apart from Christ? Wicked and fallen. So did Moses say, well, Lord, these people's hearts haven't changed yet, so let's not give them the law until their hearts change. No, actually, and we're not going to look at it, but Paul talks about it in Romans 7, like the law was meant to point out how fallen we are, right? It's more, it's, that's one of the purposes. And it's really, ultimately, we're supposed to be led. The law shows us how fallen we are, and then it, it's supposed to point us to Christ. Even as we're reading in our life group, the biblical theology book, like from Genesis to Revelation, what's the story? That God is redeeming a people for his own through his son Jesus. So what we want to do is we want to make sure that we are people who speak truth, stand on truth, hold firmly to the truth. Look at Psalm 15. We get this picture of what it looks like to walk with God. In Psalm 15, it's a psalm of David. It says, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord." who swears to his own hurt and does not change, who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. Like five verses here. And we're seeing what it looks like to walk with God. This is what it looks like. What is one of the things? Not slandering with his tongue. Doing no evil to who? The neighbor. The neighbor. So it's interesting and somewhat confounding when we're trying to be a people that, that fear God. We're trying to be a people that seek after the Lord. We're trying to be a people that come before him and bow down and worship him and do whatever he asks us to do. That's where our heart needs to be, just like it's encapsulated here. 
Do laws have an effect? Yes, they do. Recently, in the House of Representatives, at the federal level, there was the Born Alive Protection Act. It was passed in the House. The idea was basically if a baby survives an abortion and is born, we want her to be given care. What do you call it if you let a newborn baby die and not try to help it out? Infanticide, right? Murder. 435 in the House of Representatives. 210 elected representatives voted against it. All Democrats. One Democrat voted for it, one voted present. We are fighting against a culture of death. That's what we're fighting against. And it has been present in our society for too long. And it's time for it to go. So do laws have an effect? Yes. Think about what was Israel commanded to do. They disobeyed those very laws that were given at Sinai. Like they disobeyed and they disobeyed and they disobeyed for like hundreds of years. And what did God finally do as their discipline? He exiled them, right? First the northern kingdom and then the southern kingdom. Like God loved them enough that he disciplined them. So he disciplines them, and we, read, we can really get the picture well in Jeremiah. We're just going to look at one verse in Jeremiah because we can see what they were called to do. Verse 4 of 29, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So this is the command for them as they're in exile. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek, look at this in verse 7, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare. So he didn't just tell them to go and survive the exile. He told them to go and thrive in the exile. Think about it. Like have kids, increase, be fruitful, multiply. He literally says multiply there and do not decrease. And then what does he say? Seek the welfare of the city. Like don't just hunker down in a small corner somewhere for the 70 years or so, but seek the welfare of the city. As the city does, what does he say? As the city does, in its welfare, you will find your welfare. As the city does, so shall you do. As it prospers, so shall you prosper. As it holds the line, so shall you hold the line. They were still called to be salt and light. That call that Jesus tells us, guess what? That was incumbent upon the Israelites in the Old Testament too. There's a very strong mission focus that people try to bury sometimes in the Old Testament, but the call for Israel was really the same call for believers today, go and tell. Go and tell. So that's what they're supposed to be doing, being salt and light in the exile. So, I mean, they're going, they're taking God's law with them, they have it with them, and God wants them to live righteously before them. Well, I'd say the same for us. We are not called to just hunker in a corner. We're called to work for the welfare of the city, for the state, for the country. And God has been gracious. Laws have had an effect. The Susan B. Anthony pro-life group estimates 
that over 125,000 unborn lives have been saved as a result of 14 states, including Missouri, that currently have the strongest pro-life protections in place. Amen? And it estimates that 200,000 lives will be saved annually going forward because of the laws. Like, that's a great start. Amen? 200,000. Like, 20,000 would be amazing. 2,000 would be amazing. 200. But 200,000, that's a great start. That's an amazing thing. And currently, there's 13 states that have pro-life legislation that is pending due to ongoing legal challenges. Six additional states are considering pro-life legislation. We need to pray for those states. We need to pray for them. They are taking tough stands, and it's happening. And here's the thing. If we want, if we want the next generation to have a heart for what God has a heart for, guess what? It's, it's on us. It's on the church, and it's on parents to instruct faithfully what the Bible says in all areas. Like, we are called to teach the whole counsel of God from the pulpit and our life groups and our men's and women's studies, but also parents, you. It's really incumbent upon you. Okay, the responsibility of children falls to what sphere? The family, right? I mean, the church comes along and compliments what you're already doing. Um, if you're not doing it, we're going we're gonna to supplant it, um, but not because... That's our primary role. It's just because they're going to get it if they're here. We're going to, they're, going to, they're going to pick it up. But we're, we're supposed to compliment what you're already doing. Okay? <clears throat> so we have to be very wise when, when it comes. We want our kids to have a heart for the unborn. We need to inculcate that to them. We need to train them. We need to teach them. We need to show them why God's Word says that. We want to have them have a heart for whatever God has a heart for. We have to instruct them. It's not enough just for it to be our words. They have to hear the words. They have to see it here but then they need to see it live faithfully out, right? And let me just say, brothers and sisters, like if you want your kids to walk with Jesus, the first and primary thing you can do is have a godly marriage. Have a godly marriage, right? That's not a promise that your kids will become believers, but man, it gives them a good, sure footing. Have a godly marriage. Keep short accounts. Love your spouse. Minister to them. Make them, after the Lord, number one. Make sure they know that. And then educate, educate, educate your kids. You know, the scriptures in Deuteronomy 6, it talks about we're supposed to do it along the way, as we're walking along the road, when we rise up, when we sit down. What's the idea? Wherever we're at, all the time. Taking the most of every opportunity. Listen, the, the culture out there, guess what? They're going to educate your kids. All right, they're going to educate your kids. Okay, just 90 minutes away from here in Columbia, Missouri, um, three different middle schools, they had like a little program that they took, um, I think at least some of the kids, I know they took some of the kids, I don't know if they took the whole school, but they took middle schoolers to this um, program, and at the program, they had a uh, drag queens perform. Middle schoolers. Without letting the parents know. Okay, I mean... Let's not be stupid, y'all. People that knew what they were doing knew what they were doing. Okay? Let's, let's, not, let's not pretend there. So guess what? <clears throat> I mean, do you think that the culture, do you think the education system, I mean, do you think they care about your authority? I mean, they don't. Do you really think they care what you think? All you have to do, 
I'm not even necessarily recommending it, but all you have to do is like turn on the news and see um, uh, school board meeting after school board meeting where parents get tuned out, shut out. I mean, seriously. I mean, one, one guy, his daughter was uh, <clears throat> sexually assaulted, and he appeared before the school board to speak to it, and they arrested him. Truth. Truth. So do you really think they, they care what you think? They don't. It is up to you, not just to protect, you need to do that, but to educate, to love, to minister to, to make sure they know the truth. They're not coming for your kids. They've already come. Yes. Here's the thing. When we look across the landscape of the United States, like if you think about it, at least on this issue, it does, the U.S. doesn't exactly know where it's at. Like statewide, statewide, many states are like putting down some of the strictest um, abortion laws that they possibly can. Other states, Minnesota yesterday passed what is probably the most extreme abortion pro-choice law the nation has ever seen. It passed by one vote. Elections have consequences. But the U.S. doesn't know exactly where it's at. <clears throat> Even when you think of what the, um, what the House and the Senate did at the, at the end of last year where they passed the, the gay marriage bill, like, in one sense, like, that was a softball toss that they knew they could easily cross. They had the House, the Democrats had the House, the Senate, and the presidency, and, and how much pro-choice legislation came up. Like, none, really. All those, those drums beaten, they had an opportunity to do something. They didn't. Instead, they, they did a softball toss with the gay marriage, which sadly, I'll just say, like our very own Senator Roy Blunt voted for it. Our very own Ann Wagner, who's a congressman where this church sits in her district, I believe, uh, voted for the gay marriage, just FYI. <clears throat> but the one thing that they were beating drums about on this pro-life issue... They didn't take action. Why? Because I think the tide is turning. I think the tide is turning. I think it is slowly turning, but I think it's turning. The tide is turning. So I want to encourage us, like, don't grow weary. Don't grow weary. What can we do? Well, one, we can remain resolute. We will continue in this fight for life, state by state by state by state. And here's the thing. I just want to say this. Like, we have on our side, guess what we have on our side? We have theology on our side. Like, seriously. Like, the word backs a pro-life ethic, from the womb to the tomb. Even philosophy, you can have, there's some great philosophical arguments, even biology. And guess what? We have God himself, all right? And if God is for us, who can be against us? Here's the thing, abortion, as one person said, abortion is held up by the dangerous idea that some humans don't matter as much as others. Okay? But humanity doesn't come in degrees. Like, you're human or you're not, right? And let me just th say this. If you've had an abortion or, or helped someone get one, there is forgiveness found through Jesus. There's healing that comes from Jesus. There's mercy that's poured out from Jesus. If you repent and turn to him, he is quick to forgive. And <clears throat> myself preaching and the people that are saying amen, we've, we have our own sins that we ha we've had to account for and deal with. And thankfully, by the blood of Jesus, those are covered. 
So if you trust in Jesus and truly believe in him, he forgives. He is good, gracious to forgive. But to be clear, when it comes to the church, like the pro-life position, it is the Christian position. Okay, listen, there's many things we can debate. Calvinism versus Arminianism, pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, pre-millennial, post-millennial, all-millennial, paedo-baptism versus credo-baptism. The list could go on for quite a while, right? But I'm just going to tell you there's one Christian position on the unborn. It is for life. It is for life. Okay, so if you're going to a church that advocates for the pro-choice position, you're at the wrong church. And I'm going to say it, it's not even really a church. It's the synagogue of Satan. Let me just conclude with a couple things here. One, what's our role? Because the hand of God is moving. And God is at work. Listen, here's an interesting thing. I, I had to replay this when I heard this the other day. I had to replay this, uh, this little blurb I was listening to. <clears throat> But trustworthy source, it said, uh, uh, quoting the source, they said 96% of women who didn't have access to getting an abortion when they wanted one are thankful they didn't have the access in retrospect. They do not regret it. What does that mean? Here's what it means. Like for us, like ladies need ministry when they're in that tough position. They need resources. They need education. They need help. They need love. They need support. And the church needs to be here to do that. So the hand of God is moving. What do we have to do now? Well, one, pray. Listen, every person has a part to play in the march for life. And the church is a body, and and the body has many parts, right? Every single part has to function according to its gifting. But here's what I want each of us to ask. Here's what I want each of us to ask. What's the next small thing I can do to advance a culture of life. Okay? Victories are usually won by small steps. And they're usually won by people coming together for a common cause. So what's the next small thing I can do to advance a culture of life? You know, we can volunteer at the local crisis pregnancy center, and guess what? We need more people from this church stepping up and volunteering at Thrive in like-minded places. Like, they need help. They need help, and they will take what they can get. They're not looking for, 50, I mean, sure, they take 15 hours a week, but even if you can just do one day a week in the mornings, like, that's a way to stand for life. We can have conversations with people that maybe we've been unwilling to have. We want to work toward, like the, like the training program says, we want to work towards making abortion unthinkable. Yes. And we want to provide women with the support and resources they need for their pregnancies, and beyond. We have a role to play. It looks different for each person, but we do have a role to play. We can pray. We can give. We can go and protest at the abortion clinics. We can contact our elected officials. We can vote for pro-life candidates. We can serve at pregnancy resources. I mean, the, the list goes on and on. But what is the, the, the next small thing I can do? Small thing. When we look at how the Roe v. Wade decision came down, like it. God is at work. Let me just walk you through it. When that decision, when that first case first came up, Dobbs versus Jackson, 
It was litigated in Mississippi, and Mississippi lost. Conservative Mississippi, they lost. Then it was litigated before the conservative Fifth, Fifth Circuit. Mississippi lost. So Mississippi asked the Supreme Court to take the case. No one thought the Supreme Court would take the case. No one. The case sat on the docket for almost a year, which is nearly entirely unheard of at the Supreme Court level. And during that year, someone was likely writing a dissent saying, we should take the case. But, but it's up for over a year, or almost a year. And while that was likely occurring, Justice Amy Coney Barrett was confirmed as a justice. After she was confirmed, they granted the case. After the case was granted, guess what? The Attorney General in Mississippi turns over, they get a new Attorney General. He has to decide what to do. Guess what he decides to do? He swings for the fences. Okay? Many people thought it was going to be a very narrow ruling, but he argued in such a way that put the Supreme Court in a position, really, of having to make a decision on the case of Roe v. Wade. And that they did. On December 1st of 2021, just a little bit over a year ago, people realized for the first time that Roe v. Wade might actually be overturned. And then about six months later, the official announcement came down. Like, God is doing a work. He's doing a work. Okay? Now, ultimately, we can have all the laws in a society. We could go to the most perfect of utopias, okay? And people can live there and, and externally do the right things, but guess what? If their heart has not submitted to the Lordship of Christ, they're still going to hell. Right? So we can take people from all different places and, and put up proper laws, and maybe externally they might even conform to them, but God's concerned about the heart, right? So yes, we work to legislate morality, but, I mean, we want the gospel to come through. The gospel is what changes lives. The law might have people do right, but the gospel changes lives. And let me just tell you, like, the gospel is good news. It is good news for a lady who decided to abort her baby. It's good news for the boyfriend who encouraged her or the husband who encouraged her to do that. It's good news for the gentleman who's stuck in pornography and looking at it. It's good news for the guy who has cheated on his wife multiple times. Like, the gospel is good news and gives people hope when they are drowning. Over and over again. And many of you, including myself, were drowning. And what did God do in his faithfulness and mercy? He reached out. He reached out and grabbed you from the drowning. And how did he do that? Maybe through a friend, maybe through a church, maybe through your mom or dad, but he reached out. And guess what? You reached back. Right? You trusted. You believed. God is such a good and faithful God. He loves us, he loves us, he loves us, right? For God so loved the world that what? He gave his only son that whoever might believe in him might not perish, right? We're on our road to perishing without God. With God, eternal life. Without God, perishing. And God in his mercy sends his son. That, that is the story from Genesis to Revelation. It's the rescue mission. He sends his son to rescue a people for his own. What does that require from us? Well, we have to submit to him. 
We have to bend the knee. We have to get rid of pride and acknowledge we can't do it on our own and we need him to save us. You ever try, someone's drowning, you ever see someone who is drowning save themselves? It doesn't really happen. They need someone to save them. And pride keeps many people <clears throat> from reaching out for that hand. Pride causes many to drown. Don't be that one. Like, admit and realize you need a Savior. You need someone to come and save you from your sins. You can't save yourself from your sins. You need someone to come and save you. And Jesus has done that for you. So reach out the hand, my friends, today. Reach out the hand and be saved, all right? God is doing a work, and guess what? Today, he wants to do a work in some of you. And if you don't know him, he's offering you today that hand. He's reaching out and offering it to you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are at work here and in our nation. You're changing lives. You're changing hearts. Lord, I pray for anyone here right now who does not know you, that just heard these words, that they would hear them and truly hear them and trust in you. They trust in what you did through your son and coming to redeem them, to bring them to you, Lord, to be reconciled to the Father. Let them turn away from their sins. Let them ask for forgiveness of those and turn to you and receive life. You are such a good and merciful Father. We thank you. We thank you. You are truly good to us. Amen.